This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Good morning to you. So thankful to have you listening in. I'm Joel Hilliker. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving here in America, a wonderful holiday. And what makes it wonderful? It's because it reminds us of something that is far too easy to forget, just how important it is to be grateful for our blessings. And we have so many. We're going to devote a good portion of the program today to this subject, specifically about how an attitude of gratitude can have a transformative effect on our thinking. This truly is something we need to think about far more than once a year. In fact, thankfulness should be a daily habit, a major part of our thinking. Before we talk about that, though, we're going to start today's program in Canada. There's a lot of concern these days about foreign interference in elections. Well, more and more evidence is emerging that China has been exerting significant influence in Canada, building a clandestine network that interferes in elections and seeks to punish politicians who stand against China's agenda. China's been caught red-handed, interfering and benefiting Justin Trudeau's election chances. And this is just the latest revelation in a long story of the Canadian prime minister leading his nation into subservience to the Chinese dictatorship. We'll hear a report from trumpet writer Abraham Blondeau about this. Then we'll learn about a proposed solution of sorts to the drug crisis in America. Opioids are killing about 200 people a day in this country, and researchers believe they've found a vaccine that will lower these figures. Trumpet writer Rufaro Manyepa will give us a report about the causes for this crisis that this vaccine overlooks. We'll go ahead and get started by learning about the inroads China has made into Canada through its elections in this report from Abraham Blondeau. President Xi of China publicly humiliated Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau at the Asian summit in Cambodia. Xi rarely speaks candidly in front of Western media but used this occasion to dress down Trudeau for leaking confidential conversations to the media. These interactions have profound diplomatic implications that impact the prestige and soft power of a nation. This particular interaction clearly displays that China has a dominant relationship over Canada. CBC News reports, Xi Jinping's threatening rebuke of Justin Trudeau was a rare and surprising move by the Chinese president and highlighted the disregard he has for the Canadian Prime Minister, according to some experts and former diplomats. He certainly wouldn't speak like that to the U.S. President, so it does suggest that Mr. Xi has a degree of disdain for the Prime Minister and does not see Canada as an important partner, said Charles Burton, senior fellow with the Macdonald Laurier Institute and a former diplomat to China, end quote. The whole world can see the disdain and disregard. Newly released intelligence reveals that Chinese actions inside Canada also display this absolute disdain for the country's sovereignty. 
It is very clear that China dominates Canadian finance, policy decisions, and elections. Sam Cooper at Global News wrote, quote, Canadian intelligence officials have warned Prime Minister Justin Trudeau that China has allegedly been targeting Canada with a vast campaign of foreign interference, which includes funding a clandestine network of at least 11 federal candidates running in the 2019 election, end quote. The Canadian Security Intelligence Service, uh, also called CSIS, briefed the Prime Minister and Cabinet members on this intelligence in January 2022. The Communist Party of China has developed a network of agents and affiliates that involves members of the Ontario and federal government. These operations are conducted out of the Toronto Consulate and seek to place CCP affiliates in MP offices or campaign positions which influence policy, gain leverage over officials, and punish anti-China politicians. Global News continues, quote, Chief among the allegations is that CSIS reported that China's Toronto consulate directed a large clandestine transfer of funds to a network of at least 11 federal election candidates and numerous Beijing operatives who worked as their campaign staffers, end quote. This all occurred during the 2019 federal election. It was at that time that the CCP distributed $250,000 amongst 11 MP candidates from both the Liberal and Conservative parties. The money was transferred through an Ontario provincial MPP and a federal campaign staffer. Although the CSIS report did not state whether or not this interference changed the outcome of the election, it is a disturbing revelation nonetheless. 2019 saw the Trudeau government return to power with a minority government. What does this disturbing information mean? Did your vote actually count in 2019? Are some MPs sitting in Parliament now actually serving the CCP and not the Canadian people? What more is going on that we are not aware of? These are legitimate questions to ask. And 2019 was not the only year China interfered in Canadian elections. In the fall of 2021, Prime Minister Trudeau called a snap election. This election coincided with a wave of Omicron COVID variant, which increased mail-in voting to historic levels and decreased voting locations across the country. These unprecedented conditions saw Trudeau win another minority government with the lowest amount of votes ever won for a sitting prime minister. The Western Standard reported, quote, Former conservative leader Aaron O'Toole blamed a resurgence of COVID-19 and the Chinese government for his loss in the 2021 election, arguing he was winning the entire campaign until the final days. O'Toole also said that his harder line on China and the Chinese Communist Party's subsequent election interference likely cost him the election. O'Toole repeatedly accused Trudeau of being weak on China and committed to ramping up Canada's hostility towards the country if elected prime minister. O'Toole said the Conservatives lost anywhere between 7 and 12 seats because of China, mainly in the lower mainland region of British Columbia and Markham and Richmond Hill region of Ontario, end quote. 
The Trumpet reported on the evidence of the Chinese interference last year, days after the election, in an article entitled, Did China Steal Canada's Election? It has since been confirmed that up to nine ridings were the target of an aggressive misinformation campaign over Chinese social media sites. Those targeted were supporters of legislation that opposed China's agenda. Multiple third-party organizations have concluded that the Chinese misinformation did sway Chinese voters in key districts. O'Toole also claimed that the coronavirus cost him the election. O'Toole said, quote, We were winning the seat count until about two days out from the election. The winning of the popular vote, but not the seat count, was all due to the Omicron rise in Canada and Western Canada in particular. In Ontario, voters got spooked and we lost the vote. The Western Standard continues, quote, In an interview with the National Post's John Iveson, O'Toole said that the Omicron variant's resurgence in the final week of the election made the Liberal stance on vaccination more enticing to Canadians. While Prime Minister Justin Trudeau campaigned on vaccine passports that would bar Canadians from public spaces and travel, O'Toole advocated for reasonable accommodation for the unvaccinated. When Mr. Trudeau launched a campaign without a bill or without even a legal opinion on the charter validity of his mandate, O'Toole said, he basically pulled out the grenade and called an election, end quote. Trudeau used the pandemic to garner an advantage in the election. First, he timed the election to coincide with an Omicron wave. Second, this allowed voting rules to be manipulated that favored liberal strongholds and took away votes from Western Canada. Third, it increased mail-in voting to unprecedented levels and actually suppressed the voting of tens of thousands of Canadians. The Western Standard reported on this shortly after the 2021 election, saying, quote, The Canadian Elections Agency sent ballot kits to 1,274,447 electors who asked to vote by mail. Of those, only 1,068,543 were returned and counted. The difference of some 205,000 uncounted ballots included 90,000 returned late and not counted, and another 114,583 that were never returned. By comparison, the margin between Liberal and Conservative candidates nationwide totaled 190,790 votes. Blacklock's reporter at the time of the September 20 election documented cases in which electors applied for ballots by mail but never received them in time to vote, end quote. A number of ballots were sent out within five days or less before the due date, making it extremely unlikely that they would be returned in time. 90,000 mail-in votes were not counted due to pandemic measures suppressing these votes. The only way to know if these would have swung the election against Trudeau is to do a full forensic audit of the ballots, which is unlikely to occur. However, there is reason for concern, and again it emanates from China. Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry exposes in America Under Attack how the coronavirus was created in a lab in Wuhan, China, with the help of the radical left leadership in the United States. This Chinese weaponized virus was used by the radical left to help steal the 2020 election by changing election laws 
during the pandemic to enable widespread fraud. Mr. Fleury wrote, quote, The communists covered up the virus's true origins and turned what should have been a local outbreak into a global pandemic. We must take seriously the theory that all this was deliberate. We cannot simply push it aside. This is the Communist Party of China we are talking about. It is trying to get control of the world. Later on, Mr. Fleury wrote, Very importantly, drastic government actions made possible only by coronavirus fears revolutionized elections in America. The push for mail-in balloting and other loosening of or illegally breaking long-standing election standards that protect against fraud could only have happened by heavily marketed virus fears. The timing of all these events is deeply suspicious, end quote. You can read more about the coronavirus in Appendix A of Mr. Flory's book, America Under Attack. But is it possible that Justin Trudeau did the same thing in Canada? Did Trudeau follow the example of the radical left in America and steal an election? These are questions that need to be asked. The Prime Minister does not have a track record of integrity to suggest otherwise. He also has a very established track record of enabling the Chinese Communist agenda within Canada and around the world. When Trudeau was campaigning for Liberal Party leadership, his big foreign policy idea was to pivot to an alliance with China. Since his father's time, under the leadership of Pierre Elliott Trudeau, China and the Liberal Party of Canada have built a lucrative business relationship through Montreal-based companies. The Canada-China Business Council is a powerful lobby that connects the highest levels of the Liberal Party to business dealings with China. Emerging from these origins, Justin Trudeau has pursued pro-China policies to the detriment of the country. China increased their interference activities after Trudeau took power in 2015, as Global News reports. Quote, Still, the 2022 intelligence asserts that China conducts more foreign interference than any other nation, and interference threats to Canada increased in 2015 when Chinese President Xi Jinping elevated the CCP's so-called United Front Influence Networks abroad, end quote. As a part of this new effort by President Xi Jinping, China has established 50 police stations around the world in foreign jurisdictions. These police stations enforce CCP law inside the country they operate inside, which is outrageously illegal. Three of these police stations operate in Toronto, Canada. These have been used to pursue Operation Foxtrot, which is a CCP attempt to clamp down on rivals and dissidents overseas. Despite the Prime Minister knowing about these highly illegal and clandestine activities, the government has done nothing to interfere. Global News continues, quote, Dan Stanton, the former CSIS official, and David Mulroney, Canada's former ambassador to China, said that Canada is more exposed than any other Western democracies to China's interference. And yet, as the United States, UK, and Australia strengthen their counter-interference laws and ramp up investigations into Xi's United Front networks. Ottawa remains strangely inactive. End quote. The radical left will do anything to stay in power, even pandering to a communist dictatorship 
and undermining their own country. This is some disturbing information, but it was actually prophesied in the Bible. In his landmark book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy, the late Herbert W. Armstrong explains that America and Britain are descendants of some of the biblical tribes of Israel. The British peoples, including the Commonwealth nations of Canada, Australia, and others, are descended from the tribe of Ephraim. The Bible describes Ephraim in the end time in Hosea 7 verse 11. And the Bible describes Ephraim as a silly dove that naively relies on alliances with foreign powers and not on God. This Canadian-Chinese alliance that has been driven forward by Justin Trudeau is a part of this silly dove thinking that the leaders of the Ephraimite nations have. To make it worse, the radical left government of Trudeau is trying to blot out the name of Israel, as explained in 2 Kings 14, 26-27. Trudeau is using this subservient alliance with China to pursue these goals and transform Canada. The same is happening in the United States and is causing bitter affliction on the people in the end-time nations of Israel. What does the future hold? Only the Bible can answer that question. To learn where your country is heading and how events will unfold, please read Mr. Flory's book, America Under Attack. This is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. Is a vaccine the solution to America's out-of-control opioid crisis? We'll get some answers in this report from Rufaro Manyepa. America has been fighting and losing the war on drugs for over a decade. But in the last few years, it's gotten a lot worse. Last year, more than 100,000 people died from drug overdose. Around 200 people die every single day. 80% of those who try to quit relapse. And at the heart of these grim numbers is the synthetic opioid fentanyl. But a team of researchers from Houston think that they have discovered the solution, a fentanyl vaccine. Dr. Colin Hale said, Our vaccine is able to generate anti-fentanyl antibodies that bind to the consumed fentanyl and prevent it from entering the brain, allowing it to be eliminated out of the body via the kidneys. Thus, the individual will not feel the euphoric effects and can get back on the wagon to sobriety. Now, fentanyl is one of the most dangerous drugs there is. It's 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times stronger than morphine. Just 2 milligrams of fentanyl, which is the equivalent of 5 grains of salt, just 2 milligrams are enough to cause an overdose. And even if the overdose doesn't result in death, it can still cause permanent brain damage. And so due to its high potency, fentanyl is the cutting agent of choice for drug dealers. Drugs such as cocaine, methamphetamine, and street Xanax are all laced with fentanyl these days. And that's why so many people are dying. 
this new vaccine might work to prevent all these deaths. The experiments held by the research team do seem to point toward an effective treatment. But the very creation of this vaccine represents a very sad American reality. The war on drugs has been an abject failure because leaders are far more eager to treat the symptoms rather than the root causes. Consider the breakdown in the rule of law. Under the Biden administration, the southern border leak has turned into a flood. Over 5 million people have entered the country illegally in these last two years. The data shows that only about 35% of those who are caught are actually expelled back out of the country. And nearly a million illegal immigrants have been able to evade capture altogether. These numbers matter. A government report says categorically that Mexico is the primary source of illegally manufactured fentanyl. Transnational drug cartels are central to smuggling fentanyl-laced drugs into the United States. In April, for example, a total of 201,000 people tried to enter the U.S. illegally. 55,000 of those were families, 12,000 were unaccompanied children. But by far the largest group was single adults at 166,000. That amounts to 71% of people who tried entering the U.S. It's unlikely that all of these 166,000 were drug smugglers. But the drug smugglers are far more likely to be found among this largest demographic than among families or children. And that's precisely how illegal opioids are getting into America. And that's a problem a vaccine can't solve. It's like applying salve to a tumor. It might soothe the area of affliction for a time, but it won't make the deadly problem go away especially with an administration that isn't interested in upholding the rule of law. And it's this same administration that isn't willing to uphold the strongest cure to drug addiction, strong family values. Now, many drug users are thrill seekers simply looking for a high. One in 10 Americans have admitted to using illegal drugs on a monthly basis, but according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, fatherless children are at dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. Broken families are a fertile home for the escapism that drives most drug abuse. And that's something that this new fentanyl vaccine implicitly encourages. Dr. Hale said himself that one of the advantages of the vaccine is that it could protect people who accidentally or deliberately take drugs. And then he said that a parent could force their child to get vaccinated to protect them in case they experiment. Now, cultivating strong families would be a strong weapon against opioid use. Instead, traditional family is under attack. Divorce among millennials is at an all-time low simply because marriage is at an all-time low. The Respect for Marriage Act just passed the Senate last week. Same-sex marriage is on the verge of being enshrined into law. And children today are being raised more by activist teachers and social media than by their own parents. 
Strong borders neutralize dangerous drug cartels. Strong families would nullify the need for escapism or a desire to experiment. But instead, many are pinning all their hopes on a vaccine. Doing so means that the best case scenario for most would be an addiction to cocaine, meth, or heroin only without the potentially fatal danger of fentanyl. Meanwhile, criminals would still roam the streets and families would continue to crumble. Trumpet editor-in-chief Mr. Gerald Flurry wrote in his booklet No Freedom Without Law, For many years we have declared a war on drugs in America and what has been the result? Look at the facts and we must concede that we have lost that war. America is overcome by its drug problem, he says. While many people hope that this new fentanyl vaccine will bring freedom from addiction, and perhaps it will, maybe it will work once it goes into human trial, maybe it will be able to stop the all-too-easy fentanyl overdose deaths, But until the root causes are addressed, until the law is applied, there will never be freedom. Mr. Flurry continues, Strong marriages build strong children. We need strong children who are not vulnerable to drugs. He continues, Why do children continue to take drugs and destroy their minds? The mind is the only thing that really sets us apart from animals. What is lacking in their lives that would make them want to do that to themselves? Why even take a chance on something so destructive? Because their wills are so weakened, they must have something to fill the void their parents have left in most cases. Of course, drugs don't truly fill that void at all, Mr. Flurry writes. They only bring people into slavery of the worst possible kind. And that is the sad reality. But there is real and lasting hope in God's law. It protects children and our families. It brings true freedom into our lives. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2 verse 16, Live as free men, yet without using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but live as servants of God. That's what God wants for everyone. We have to write God's law on our hearts indelibly, and that will bring true freedom into our lives. Mr. Flurry writes that we have been deceived to believe just the reverse, that God's law somehow enslaves us. That is false. Beware of men. No man can give you true freedom. This fentanyl vaccine cannot bring true freedom. Only God can do that, Mr. Flurry writes. God's law brings us the ultimate, most wonderful freedom of all. Thank you, Mr. Manyepa. It is... uh stunning the scale of this problem you said 200 people dying a day something like a hundred thousand people have died from this uh in the last few years that's a a tremendous uh scale of of problem yes sir absolutely and and just looking back at the the recent history just shows you um, how much bolder a lot of these smugglers are getting and and the increased volume 
of the the illegal drugs that are coming into the country. There's a stat that says that in 2017, um, about 2,500 pounds of fentanyl were brought into the country by illegal smugglers. This year, that number was 14,000 pounds. That's five times more than just five years ago. And while this was seized, it was it was found, it shows that these people are getting better at detecting all of this, but it does point to the fact that these smugglers are just getting bolder, they're getting more confident, uh, they're getting more aggressive, because they probably look at America's border policies and think, we can get a lot more into this country if we decide to do it. We can have a lot more success than we've been have than we've been having lately. And it just brings to mind what we've written about at the trumpet over the last few months where sometimes it can look like mere incompetence on the part of this administration, mm. all these disastrous policies. But Mr. Flurry has made the point that no, they're actually deliberately creating chaos because they want to destroy the entire country. And that just makes it so important for parents, for, for everyone to take personal responsibility in, in addressing this problem. Because when you rely on men, you rely on the government or any doctors, they're trying to bring the entire system down. They're trying to create chaos. Well, it's it's hard not to, uh, to draw that conclusion when you look at how uh, they could do a lot to solve the problem, like you were talking about lawlessness, just by enforcing the laws that are on the books right. by, and just by shutting that border down. Not that it would solve the problem completely, but it would go a long way to saving a lot of lives if they would just do that. And the fact that they are being so uh, neglectful of those solutions that are so uh, so visible before them it does show that there is something more sinister going on here we've been talking with uh, rufaro maniepa about the opioid crisis in america and efforts to solve this problem through a new vaccine he's written an article about this that you can find at thetrumpet.com go check it out thanks very much always a pleasure sir is Trumpet Hour with Joel Hilliker. The holiday of Thanksgiving is a wonderful reminder because Thanksgiving is an attitude we need all the time. And it's far too easy to neglect or forget. And we generally agree in principle we should be thankful. We should be more thankful than we are. But I want to put to you that we really need to think about this more and think about it more deeply. Thankfulness really should be a daily habit, particularly sincere gratitude to God, but even thankfulness toward other people. Gratitude should be deeply ingrained in our thinking. It needs to be a significant ingredient in our heart. And this takes work. It's only going to happen if we deliberately set our hearts to be thankful. There is a beautiful passage in our editor-in-chief, Gerald Flurry's book, The New Throne of David, 
It starts on page 109 with the subhead, Praise God, Thank God. And it talks about the example that King David set. Mr. Fleury wrote, David continually praised and thanked God. He said, we must always be praising God and thanking God for everything he gives us. That reflects very spiritual thinking. The fact that David praised and thanked God so much shows strongly that he was a man after God's own heart. When you think about King David, it really is extraordinary that a man with his responsibilities and the pressures that he was under and the trials that he went through, that he continually made time to write these psalms, these love songs to God. Mr. Fleury wrote, a man after God's own heart builds his life around praising and thanking God. That's, that's an extraordinary statement. How much more can you build your life around praising and thanking God? Naturally, we are very unthankful. We, we don't really think that much about giving thanks. We don't think enough about the blessings that we have. There's a crucial passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is Moses' instructions to the Israelites just before they entered the promised land. And he talks quite a while in this passage about how they're going to enter this land. They're going to inherit all this wealth. And as he talks about this, Moses really demonstrates a remarkable understanding of human nature. He writes in verse 10 of Deuteronomy 8, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the eternal your God for the good land which he has given you. That word bless means to kneel before God and to praise God. There are translations that say, thank God, give thanks to God. So it's worth noting that it, it doesn't say when you feel thankful, give thanks. It says after you've eaten, when you're feeling satisfied, make sure that you acknowledge and bless and praise and thank God. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not. When God gives you something, you need to kneel to him and thank him. Dennis Prager wrote about this passage of scripture. He said, virtually nothing is as significant to a good life as gratitude. Gratitude is the mother of both happiness and goodness. The ungrateful can be neither happy nor good. All happy people and all good people are grateful people. Anything that undermines gratitude undermines happiness and goodness. And nothing undermines gratitude as much as taking something or someone for granted. And how easy is it to take something or someone for granted? It's, it's very, very common. It's very natural for us to do that. This is why it's so important that we pray when we eat, that we ask uh, for God's blessing over our food, that we thank him for our food. We don't want to take that food for granted. This passage in Deuteronomy 8 continues, verses 11 through 14 say, Beware that you forget not the Lord your God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command you this day, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up 
and you forget the Lord your God. That's our tendency, isn't it? It is so easy to forget God when we live in prosperity. And verse 17 here says, And you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. When life is good, we naturally tend to take credit for the blessings that God has given us. This reminds me of the Thanksgiving proclamation that Abraham Lincoln wrote October 3rd, 1863. You think about this, this is right in the middle of the Civil War. America was suffering terrible curses at that time. And you read this proclamation and Lincoln just lists all of the blessings that the nation had received from God. Here's an excerpt from it. He wrote, we've been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But then he wrote, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It's a very wise statement and wise observation that Lincoln made there. And he's talking about self-sufficiency and pride. These, of course, are the opposite of the thankfulness that we need. But this is our natural tendency, especially when things are going well. When we're prospering, we become self-sufficient and we become proud. That's why God gave this command. Like, don't forget me when these things happen. Verse 18 here in Deuteronomy 8 says, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you power to get wealth. This is God's law that we always need to remember. Never take credit for those things that God has done for us. Always give him credit for our our successes and our blessings. This is something we have to deliberately set our heart on. Truly being genuinely thankful to God. A few years back, the Trumpet.com managing editor, Brad McDonald, wrote a column on the Trumpet.com about this proclamation of Lincoln. And he wrote this, America was suffering a devastating civil war Quote, unequaled in magnitude and severity, Lincoln noted, the deadliest battle of the war, Gettysburg, had recently claimed roughly 50,000 casualties. Thanksgiving Day was proclaimed at the height of an existential crisis. It was, it was Lincoln who established the National Day of Thanksgiving as, a, as an ongoing thing. There were Thanksgiving proclamations that were written by presidents before then, but, but Lincoln made this a national holiday. But Mr. McDonald wrote, Thanksgiving Day was proclaimed not to celebrate the solving of a crisis, but to help solve the crisis. How does expressing gratitude solve problems? 
It does not directly put more soldiers on the battlefield or more money in the bank. It doesn't cause depression to vanish or suddenly heal family division. But showing sincere, detailed gratitude to God changes something much more important, the mind and attitude. We're all prone to falling into the spiritual sin of ingratitude. That's human nature. And human nature is actually Satan's nature. It is Satan as he influences human beings. It manifests itself in what we call human nature. But you look at Satan's example and you realize this being is profoundly ungrateful. You study into his history as Lucifer, this great archangel that God created. God had given him everything. He gave him incredible glory and talent and capability. He gave him a phenomenal education and opportunities and leadership and honor, a spectacular inheritance. And Lucifer didn't appreciate all those blessings. He probably didn't even recognize them, certainly not to the full extent. He couldn't see all that God had given him. If Lucifer had been thankful, then he never would have tried to take what wasn't his. You can read the story in uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 that shows how he was dissatisfied. He was discontent and he tried to usurp God's throne. And he, he stirred those attitudes up among all of the other angels, all the angels that he, he was overseeing. And they waged war against their creator. And, and really, in many ways, gratitude would have prevented that. But this spirit of dissatisfaction and, and complaining and ungratefulness and discontent, that is the spirit that the devil, who is called the prince of the power of the air, stirs up in this world. That is Satan's nature. God's nature is the opposite. Just look at Jesus Christ. Look at the example that he set when he was on this earth. He continually thanked his father. He had a wonderful attitude of gratitude toward God. Back in 2018, there was a study that we reported on at thetrumpet.com. Stephen Flurry, the executive editor of The Trumpet, he, he wrote an article called Another Reason to Be Thankful about this study. And he wrote this, with so much prosperity and abundance in Western nations, how do we teach our children to distinguish between necessity and want? A new study finds it may be as simple as making gratitude a daily priority for our children. This is a really valuable thing to set our minds on. This, this study, what they did is they took two groups of teenagers and all of them were told to keep a journal every day for a few weeks. One group, they were told to just write down whatever activities they had done that day. The second group was told to write down things they were thankful for. And then at the end of the study, they gave all of these kids a survey on their happiness, on their thankfulness. They also gave them 10 $1 bills. And they told them, you can either keep all this money for yourself or you can donate some of, the, some of these dollar bills to charity. So the kids who just wrote down their activities for the day there was no change in their 
thankfulness or their level of materialism. Uh, and those kids, they kept more than half of the money for themselves. The, the teenagers who wrote what they were thankful for, they ended up giving away two-thirds of the money that they had been given. Just focusing on what they were thankful for made them more thankful and it made them happier and it made them more giving, more generous. That's a remarkable effect of gratitude. It makes you happy. Dissatisfaction and complaining, that makes you miserable. Gratitude really changes your your way of thinking. It protects you from getting into this attitude of expecting things from other people or expecting things or demanding things from God or acting like we're owed those things, those really are happiness killers, those ways of thinking. If you want happy children, teach them to be thankful children. If you want giving children, train them to be grateful children. This is what God does with his children you know, by giving laws such as the one that we read in Deuteronomy 8, telling us to make sure that you express thanks and that you give God credit. Stephen Flurry writes in this article, if you want to overcome depression or negativity, praise and thank God for your blessings. Fill your mind with God's goodness and there will be no room for complaining or discontentment. Luke 17 records a powerful story about gratitude. Here it talks about Jesus Christ passing through a village where he saw 10 lepers. And it says there, they, they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, this is just one of so many incidents in the Gospels where Christ healed people. He healed a lot of people. Now, you don't read many instances where people expressed real gratitude to him for doing that. But here you do. One of those men, one of those lepers, was very thankful. It says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan, it says. This man just had a beautiful attitude. You see his humility that he is demonstrating toward Jesus Christ. He fell on his face. When you think on this subject of thanksgiving, you you see that there really is a close connection between thanksgiving and humility. Proper gratitude produces humility of mind. And that's something we really need to come to know God, to receive blessings from God. What's interesting in this instance though in this in this uh, episode recorded in the gospels is how christ responded to this this very grateful man it says jesus answering said were there not 10 cleansed but where are the nine there are not found that returned to give glory to god save this stranger this samaritan christ noticed Where are the others, he said. Maybe those other nine lepers thanked the priest 
that they had visited, or maybe they thanked God in prayer, but Christ wondered, well, why didn't they return and thank me the way this man did? Only one in ten returned to thank him. It gives you an idea of just how unthankful we naturally tend to be. When you are unthankful, you really aren't seeing God. Thanksgiving is a wonderful way to see God more clearly, to get your mind onto him and all the ways that he blesses you. And when you do that, you're going to start to see God much more present in your daily life. You're going to actually get better at recognizing the areas where he's working in your life, where he's blessing you. The Apostle Paul has some wonderful advice in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1. He says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Giving of thanks for all men. That's a lot of men (laughs) to be thankful for. You know, God wants us to be thankful to him. And here he's, he's saying, be thankful for others. That's, that's something that we really should express gratitude uh, for. That's learning how to view other people the way that God does. There are a lot of passages in Scripture encouraging us to be more thankful in our lives. You can look at 1 Thessalonians 5, there in verse 16, it says, Rejoice evermore. Always be rejoicing. That's a wonderful command. Don't just rejoice in the good times, but always rejoice. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Constantly keep up that communication with God. And then the next command there, verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 5 says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. One paraphrase of this verse says, thank God no matter what happens. When we're on the mountaintop and we're in the sunlight in our lives and when we're in the pain and the muck and the shadow of a difficult trial, there's never a time when it's not appropriate to be giving thanks to God. Thank God no matter what happens. Even in your trials, Of course, that's when it's hardest to be thankful, but that's also when it's most important to be thankful. That really is growing in spirit-minded thinking. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Cultivate the habit of being grateful for every good thing that comes to you and to give thanks continuously. And then note this, he said, And because all things have contributed to your advancement, you should include all things in your gratitude. That's right. Even our trials, even our challenges, even the correction that God gives us that helps us to grow. Be grateful. Give thanks continually. Don't wait until you are brimming over with gratitude to express it. In fact, you can use giving thanks as a tool for beating back feelings of worry and fear and doubt. You read the Psalms that are just full of thanksgiving, and you can tell those 
authors really thought deeply about all the things they had to thank God for. And so many of those psalms were written in trial, in times of danger and times of suffering. There are psalms that David wrote when he was in the wilderness and he was running for his life. Now, there are a lot of places in the psalms where you see requests for deliverance, but it's amazing how many of those are mixed together with phenomenal thanks and praise. When, when David was surrounded by trouble, he, he said, well, this is a great time for me to thank God. When he was discouraged, he would set his heart on God. You'd think he would be throwing all of his energy into making a plan to try to get out of the, the mess that he was in, but he poured his energy into praise and thanks. Again, that's not natural. That's not something that we naturally tend to do. That's something that you have to work to deliberately set your heart on if, if you're going to do that. We have a lot to learn from David and his, his example, this very special man and this sterling example of thanksgiving that he set. The Psalms give us the language of proper praise and thanks for God. They were composed by this man after God's own heart, and there were many other authors, most of them who were directly following David's example. But the Psalms help us to see how to go beyond just saying thanks, how in our thanksgiving we can be detailed and thorough and heartfelt. Read those Psalms, study them, meditate on them, pray those Psalms. If you'd like to have some examples and read some examples of wonderful thanksgiving, here are a few psalms you can study. Psalm 100 is about entering God's presence with wholehearted thanks, really pouring yourself into thanksgiving. Psalm 116 talks about being thankful for answered prayer. Psalm 30 describes gratitude for receiving forgiveness from God. Psalm 136 is all about giving thanks for God's never-ending mercy. Psalm 107, that was probably written in Ezra's time, these Jews who were on return to Jerusalem from captivity. It's a beautiful psalm, and it's all about praising God for deliverance from trial. Psalm 75 is all about thanks to God for his judgment against the wicked. There's a lot of wickedness in the world today, and you read Psalm 75, and it just, it's very uplifting. Psalm 103 is all about thanking God for all the benefits that he gives us. Psalm 148 is enjoining everyone and everything in the universe to get involved in praising and thanking God. Psalm 92 was also probably written during the Babylonian captivity. And the this psalm begins, a psalm or song for the Sabbath day. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto your name, O Most High. You know, an annual day of thanksgiving is wonderful, but God actually gives us a day every week, the weekly Sabbath, where it's really good to give thanks to God. We had an article in the Royal Vision. This is a companion magazine to the trumpet. 
November, December 2020 by Daryl Hope called Give Thanks and Praise. And the quip to this article is transform your mind to God's way of thinking by applying the lessons of Psalm 92. And he, he asked the question in here, why does God command praise and thanks? He writes, because genuinely thanking and praising God has a transformative effect on us. Being grateful requires humility. It requires recognizing what has been given to us by God, what we could never have done for ourselves. So it puts us in a humble and contrite mindset. It moves us in the opposite direction of vanity and selfishness. Praising and thanking God puts us in a humble and repentant attitude. And being contrite and humble are two important qualities we must possess as God works through his spirit to transform our evil nature into the perfect character of God. God, in his supreme love for us, wants us to thank and praise him so our thinking will align with his, so we can become more like him. That's a really profound truth. Being thankful helps you transform your heart. It actually makes you think more like God. In that New Throne of David book, Mr. Flurry wrote quite a bit about this in that section on praising and thanking God. He said, David continually praised and thanked God. That reflects very spiritual thinking. When you praise and thank God continually, do you realize how converted that makes you? Just thinking normally, you wouldn't continually thank and praise God. It's not a natural way to think. But if we are to be men and women after God's own heart, we must think in a way that is very unnatural. Getting our minds on this wavelength where we're really thinking about thanksgiving, it is transformative. It converts our thinking from what is natural to what is godly. In that book, Mr. Flurry referred to examples in Ezra and Nehemiah when the Jews returned to Jerusalem from captivity and they studied everything King David had done and they followed his example in instituting praise and thanks exactly the way he had commanded it. They just wanted to follow his example in detail. And Mr. Flurry wrote, we are here to learn to praise and thank God as a way of life. We're not just to sing praise and thanks occasionally. David didn't want the choirs to just sing about it. He wanted it in their minds and in their hearts. Praising and thanking God is a God-centered way of life. David wanted us to think this way. It shows a depth of conversion we all need to work and improve on. Do you honestly praise and thank God enough? I certainly don't. We all need to grow in this. If we are deeply spiritual like David, we will be praising and thanking God always, even for our fiery trials. This is how you become a man or woman after God's own heart. These are two of the great building blocks to show how David was a man after God's own heart. These two doctrines, praising and thanking God, are at the heart and core of being God-centered. If we all follow in David's footsteps in this way, this thinking will fill our lives. Fill your life with praise and thanksgiving. Use this as a tool 
to become happier and more joyful and more generous, more spiritual, more God-centered, more loving, to become a person after God's own heart. I'm Joel Hilliker, and that will do it for today's Trumpet Hour. You can send me any thoughts on today's program to letters at thetrumpet.com. Thanks to our contributors, Abraham Blondeau and Rufaro Manyepa. Thanks to Dwight Falk for engineering and production. I'll leave you with this thought from E.P. Powell. Thanksgiving Day is a jewel to set in the hearts of honest men. But be careful that you do not take the day and leave out the gratitude. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world. You've been listening to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world.